If you would, take your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 26. We'll be there in just a moment. I want to give you a little uh, background uh, to this chapter. Uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel, we're not sure who the uh, author is. We know, uh, for the most part, that Samuel wrote some of it. But nevertheless, it is a book in our Bible, a historical narrative inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Samuel is a good read. It's, it's really uh, exciting uh, to read Samuel. Um, Basically, it is uh, a book about three individuals. We have Samuel, who was uh, born to Hannah. Remember the story, beautiful story, how she prayed to the Lord for a son. And God gave her a son, Samuel. And she dedicated him to the Lord at a very early age. And he was uh, given to Eli. And he served in the temple. So Samuel is both a priest, he's a prophet, and a judge. And another character, and this is where it gets uh, painful and difficult to read. How about King Saul? Okay. <laughs> uh, starts off well, but uh, ends rather poorly. Not someone that you want to emulate. And then we have everybody's hero, David. David. We love David, don't we? Uh, ask uh, anyone, you know, probably, you know, who is one of your favorite characters in the Bible? And uh, David would probably be one of them. And rightly so. Uh, greatest king of Israel. He's the only king that actually restored uh, the kingdom of Israel he was uh, reigning over all 12 tribes. And uh, he left the throne to Solomon. Uh, things did not turn out so well. Uh, Solomon, again, started off well, ended poorly. Then you had, if you remember, Rehoboam, Jeroboam. Jeroboam the kingdom was divided. <clears throat> but that is later on uh, in 2 Samuel. But uh, 1 Samuel, very interesting read and fun read. So as I was uh, doing some of my daily Bible reading, I came across uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 26, and I think it is very good for us in the church today to look at this chapter together. I've got three points on today's sermon, and these are lessons that we learn from David in chapter 26, first lesson is the spiritual discipline of waiting. Oh boy. Okay. And we're going to spend most of our time there. And then we're going to look at the theology of geography. Hmm, where does that come from? Well, you'll find out. And then we're going to talk about David's departure from King Saul, and he's going to depart with a clear conscience okay so that's where we are today all right have you ever heard the saying just do it just do it remember that one it was the nike slogan back in 1988 and the reason i remember it so well is because one of my favorite basketball players was michael jordan and he was part of that ad campaign and uh, I wanted a pair of those sneakers that he wore. They had the Nike swoosh. Of course, I thought it would make me jump like him, but uh, never got them, never tried that out. As everybody knows, white men can't jump. But uh, anyway, just do it. How about dream big? Dream big. Yeah. Or take life by the horns. And get what you want. Make it happen. Take action. Take a risk. Do something to crush the competition. Alright, this is what it means. To take matters in life 
in your own hands and get what you want. But is that the way of the Christian? No, it is not. This may be the way of the world, but it is not the way for the believer. Because the Bible says that our life is hidden with Christ in God. And we are called to wait upon the Lord and trust in His provisions for us. Some people call it God's providence. But anyway, this is what we're going to talk about today. Let's look at verse Excuse me, uh, chapter 26 and verse 1. I'll begin reading there. And this is going to be deja vu for David. Okay? Now what happened back in the earlier chapters of 1 Samuel? Saul was made king over Israel. He was their first king. And this broke Samuel's heart. Because Samuel knew who the right king for Israel was. Who was to be the king of Israel? God was to be their king. This is to be a theocratic you know, rule. But uh, the Israelite people, being humans like you and I, it wasn't good enough for them. And they said, we want to have a king like all the other nations. And it broke Samuel's heart, but God said, go ahead, Samuel. We're going to find him a king. And the Lord tells Samuel, he said, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. So Saul, he is anointed king. Starts out really well, but he makes some pretty bad blunders. And in chapter 15, it's, it's very... Uh, difficult to read because Saul directly disobeys the word of the Lord. He does not completely destroy the Amalekites. He saves some of the booty, right? Remember this? Saul comes up and he says, what's that I hear? Is that the bleeding of sheep that I hear? <laughs> and basically Saul says, oh, the people made me do it. But at that moment, Samuel has to pronounce a judgment on Saul. He says, today, the Lord has rejected you as king. And Samuel is grieved. Uh, chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord tells Samuel, said, Samuel, why are you still grieving for Saul? It's time to move on. I got somebody else in mind for the king of Israel. So Samuel goes to the house of Jesse. You remember the story? Oh, it's a fun story. Uh, Jesse has all these sons. And the first son that Samuel sees, he goes, Oh, this must be the one. He's just like Saul. He's tall, dark, and handsome. Got to be the one. No, that's not the one. Goes through all the sons. Finally. Do you have any more sons? Maybe I've got the wrong home. Is this the house of Jesse? Oh, yes, I've got one more son, but he's out tending sheep. He's the runt of the family. Bring him in. And the Lord says, he's the one. You see, God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outside. And David, probably just a young teenager is anointed king of Israel. And very few people know about this at this time. What a burden to bear. Being made king at such a young age. But it's not consummated yet. It's not come to fruition. David is going to go through many years struggling and trials in the wilderness and in the court of King Saul before he actually is made king. 
But one thing that David does is that he does act righteously before King Saul. David has been anointed king over Israel, but Saul remains king. And because Saul is jealous of David, he is envious of David, he is going to seek to kill him. And so that's where we take it up today. David has had to flee to the wilderness because King Saul is after his life. Verse 1, Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hekelah, which is on the east of Jessamon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Now this is deja vu because this same group of people has already betrayed David earlier. And they are doing it again. Because they are in allegiance with King Saul. Another thing this shows us is that Saul, having had the benefit of David serving in his military, treating him like a son, great benefit for King Saul having David because he is a mighty warrior. I mean, this, this boy, he can fight, okay? But since he is so victorious in his battles, the notoriety has gone to David and it went to Saul's heart and he was so jealous, full of hatred, full of just outright uh, deprivation of soul. And he's tried to kill David on more than one occasion. So Saul is encamped on the hill of Hakaliah, which is beside the road on the east of Jesuhamon. But David remained in the wilderness. And when he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had come. I think it's very uh, brave for David to even approach Saul's men. Notice there are 3,000 warriors for Saul. Now David has about 600 with him. And these are mighty men of God as well. But David doesn't call them to confront Saul's army. You know, I've often thought, maybe David could have taken them. Maybe. With David leading, who knows? But in this situation, David does not retaliate against Saul. He is willing to wait, watch, pray, and see what God will do. But let's do see what David does. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. So we have David. He's overlooking this scene. He recognizes King Saul. He recognizes Abner who is Saul's general. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zuriah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I'll go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army 
lay around him. Wow. David and Abyssai. It's like, you know, they're going into the hornet's nest. If I was David, I would have been very scared, very concerned. What if they wake up? This morning, I got up rather early. Uh, is this my custom? Very rarely ever in my life have I ever been able to sleep past 7 o'clock in the morning. Are some of you that way? I mean, I was up at 6 o'clock. And uh, usually I, I, I put the coffee on. Aren't I a good husband? I make coffee for me and my wife. <laughs> and I go through the garage and I go outside. Hey, what kind of day have I woken up to? And uh, I'm, I'm over six feet. I'm 205 pounds. And, uh, you know, I'm no little guy. You know, I think I'm a pretty tough guy. But guess what happened to me this morning? A bunny rabbit on my back porch scurried out in front of me, and I almost jumped. <laughs> what is that? You know, it happens. We're not near as tough as we think we are. But I want to say David is showing great courage here. And so is Abyssai. They're sneaking down into the camp, okay? So what is going to happen? <clears throat> then said Abyssai to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear and I will not strike him twice. I see such irony here in the passage. Because here's this spear that Saul has hurled at David and tried to kill him, but David escaped. Saul always has this spear with him. His desire is to kill David. But what irony. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. So David is showing restraint here. What I think has happened to David is he has fled for his life into the wilderness. I think God has been working on his heart because he doesn't choose this probably fairly easy opportunity to take Saul out. David's not even going to have to do it. He's got a busy eye there. And believe me, he was probably able to do it. He wanted to do it. But David said, no, this would not be right. Because what has happened, God has been sanctifying David's heart through his years in the wilderness. He's changed. He has changed. Saul has not changed. But David has. I see here a message of sanctification. Have you ever found yourself in the wilderness? <laughs> Have you found yourself in a place, maybe between a rock and a hard place in life? And you've got decisions to make. You don't understand what's going on. God, why am I here? Let me tell you, God's at work. He is at work. He is sanctifying you. He's at work trying to mold you into the image of His Son. One thing also interesting here uh, in the passage in chapter 26, five times David's, David states, The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. David is trusting in the Lord. I think that is beautiful. We are called to do the same thing. We're called to cry out to the Lord. We're called to wait. We are called to pray. 
We're called to trust. We are called to watch for God's provision and providence in in our lives. David was willing to do that in this instance. Now, does this describe you? Are you willing to wait? Do you have the ability to wait on God's timing and not to press it? Or do you revert back to what the world says? I'm going to take life by the horns. I'm going to make it happen. I've got this. I can do this. But God has called us to wait. Be patient. Not too long ago, I was assisting a young family, actually a pastor, friend of mine. He and his wife uh, were at the hospital. His wife had given birth to a beautiful little baby girl. And uh, a few hours after the birth, the doctor came to my friend and said, your daughter has some very serious problems. They're neurological. And they're so severe, I don't know what to do. We're going to have to call in another team to help me. Of course, you know, that brings such great fear and trepidation to young parents. You can only imagine what he and his wife must have been feeling. A couple of days later, I was with the entire family and the father of this young man. He is uh, a businessman, has owned many companies, has served well in these companies. He's one of these take charge, let's get it done type of people, believe me. He's that personality. He's taught me many principles. And uh, his daughter and wife says, well, we're going to have to, you know, call in some specialists and there's a lot of things that can be done. We've even looked it up online. You know, there's a cure for this, and, but it's going to require multiple surgeries. And uh, this older gentleman, the grandpa, of this baby girl. He goes, no. I think we're just going to have to wait and be patient on this one. Wow. And it must have really been. A word from the Lord. Because nothing else was said. We're going to wait. We're going to pray. We're going to watch. And sure enough. That little girl. I can't tell anything's wrong. But patience. We have to be patient in our lives. Patience is a virtue. In my family, it's much needed. I told this little story to first service. Uh, I'm one of these people. I always try to drive the speed limit. And you know, when the speed limit is 30 miles an hour and you've got your wife and your grandkids with you, your grandkids in the back seat, Paul, Paul, how fast are you going? You're driving too slow. I'm driving the speed limit. You know, and here's what happens. I get, if I go 35 or 40, my wife, you're speeding. I can't win for losing. But oh, how we are an impatient people. We want answers to our problems now. We want them solved quickly. But what God does in His wisdom, He often calls us to wait. To wait. David could have ended Saul's life and soon became king. But he didn't choose to do that. He waited. There are many examples of people in the scriptures where we see people waiting. How about Abraham and Sarah? Sarah was barren. She couldn't have children. Yet God had promised them a son. And they waited for years on the promise of God. And one day, 
she became pregnant and a son was born. How about Joseph being put in prison, waiting and waiting to see the fulfillment of a dream that he had when he was a young boy? My, what a long time of waiting Joseph went through. And God was working all the while in his life and the life of others. How about Israel as a nation being held captive in Egypt, waiting to be set free from slavery? Over 400 years they waited until God sent them Moses, their deliverer. I think of Simeon and Anna waiting in the temple, fasting, praying, watching a long time until one day they saw the promised Messiah, baby Jesus. They had been waiting and praying for a long time. We go to Romans 8. Even creation is waiting. Creation waits to be set free from the bondage of corruption. And dear ones, you and I, we are waiting one day the return of Jesus where all things will be made new and then we will have this glorified body. Yay, I'm waiting. <laughs> Jerry says, amen. We were talking about that before the service. I have a dear aunt who, I hope she's not listening. I'll quote your date wrong. Your age, I think you're 97. Aunt Jasmine. And uh, she has a son that is taking care of her. But what has been so difficult for her during this COVID season is the lockdown. She's not in a nursing home. She's at home. She has her son and other loved ones to take care of her. But she asked me not so long ago, why am I still here? She's waiting. She's waiting. How about the eager child that is waiting for adulthood? I remember those years, young people. <laughs> when can I drive? I want to be an adult. Now that I'm an adult, I want to go back. <laughs> I love those carefree years. How about a mom and a dad who are praying for a wayward child? Some of us know that grief, the anguish, the tears, waiting and praying for a child to come back when they've strayed both from family and the Lord. That's painful. Waiting, praying, watching, waiting for God's provision and providence to be made known. Waiting is the posture of a Christian. This is what God calls us to do. One of my favorite passages in Isaiah 40, chapter 31. You'll know this one. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. What a promise. Those that wait upon the Lord. Why is it that we do not enjoy waiting? What's the problem with waiting? <laughs> well, one thing, it certainly exposes our sin. But the reason it's so difficult is because our human nature wants us to be in charge. And we are reminded that we are not in charge of all the circumstances of our life. 
Waiting exposes our proud, arrogant hearts. Oftentimes we think we know better. How many of you ever asked the question, God, why? Did you ever get an answer? Probably not. <laughs> we think we know better. And we are selfish people. At heart, in our human natures, we are selfish. God exposes that. And if we're not careful, we will begin to believe our own counsel. And that is when we become most deceived. Deceived and deceiving others. You'll always find people to agree with you. You will always be able to justify your own counsel. But listening to our own counsel is not what we need. We need the Lord's counsel. We need to go to His Word. David, when he was in the wilderness, he wrote many hymns. Don't you find the Psalms wonderful, Brian? The Psalms of David, sometimes we put them to music. But even David, writing the Psalms under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he didn't always heed this counsel. But we do need the Scripture to give us counsel. Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way that seems right to man. It would have been very easy for David to have talked himself into saying, Go ahead, use that spear, Abishai. Take him out. But David would not do that. Another favorite passage, and it's familiar to you, it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Encouragement there. Another question and I've touched on this already, but how will you behave when you are in this time of waiting? How will you behave during this practicing, this spiritual discipline of waiting? Will you behave well? Will you be found righteous? You'll probably have some good days and bad days. But my encouragement to you would be, don't give up on God. Don't forget, God is at work. Last week, my wife and I watched a documentary about Corey Ten Boom. It was... Uh, Really good. She actually wrote the book, The Hiding Place. First service, our crowd was really young. They didn't know. Who, who knows who Corey Ten Boom is? Hey, we got more second service. Yay, you win. She wrote the book, The Hiding Place. Her family, during World War II, would hide Jews in their home because the Jewish people were being exterminated by Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party. And they would help them escape. But she and her father and her sisters were betrayed by a fellow in their community. And they were arrested. Her father died ten days after his captivity. Later, her sister would die in a Nazi prison camp. Interestingly, Corey thinking that she was next to be sent to the gas chamber, was miraculously released. She thinks it was a clerical error, but she was released. 
And I copied down a quote from her. She said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Oh, I like that. Our future is unknown. But we know our God and our God is good. And we must wait. Be patient for Him. David knows that God is in charge. What is his answer to Abishai? Verse 11, the Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take the spear that is in his, at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. So even in this situation, the Lord is protecting David. I need to back up here just a moment. I've missed a verse that I should have read to you. Anyways, what David is saying, he wants Abishai to know that it is the Lord that will deal with Saul eventually. He will either die in battle or the Lord may strike him down. Who knows what will happen? But it is God that will make that final judgment and God will judge justly. As we go on to chapter, I mean, excuse me, verse 18. I'm sorry, go back to verse uh, 14. We see David, he's gone out of Saul's camp and there's a little bit of bantering going back and forth here. A little trash talk, if you will. And uh, David cries out. Abner wakes up. And uh, later on, Saul wakes up. But in this uh, going back and forth, what is happening here is that uh, David, acting righteously, uh, they're out to kill David. But the ones that David says, you're the guy that should be killed, Abner. Because you weren't watching over your king during the night. Look at me, I got his spear and I've got his jug of water. So a little bit of bantering going on. But Saul recognizes David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son, David? And David said, it is my voice, O Lord, O King. Verse 18, and he said, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? What have I done? What evil is on my hands? There is no evil on David's hands concerning Saul. Verse 19, now therefore let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred up stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. So David said, okay, if I've done something before the Lord, I'm willing to give an offering. I'm going to confess my sin. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out of this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now watch this. Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. David is harmless to Saul. 
But more importantly, what David is saying is, you have driven me out of Israel. This is the land of my God. I am a lover of God. I write worship songs to God. But you have driven me out of the land of inheritance. And this is horrifying for David to go through. You see, in the time of the Old Testament, Israel was a heritage or land where they were blessed. They were the people of the Lord. And they received this inheritance of land. And God dwelt with his people in the land. But now Saul has exiled David from his people. So here is the theology of geography. Israel is the Lord's heritage. It is where God dwells. The ark of God was there, the tabernacle, and they had public worship. God did uniquely dwell with his people Israel. And it was a special grace that God had given them. David felt cut off from God. And it grieved him very much. Think about David fleeing, going into these caves of hiding. Uh, I don't think David was content with his harp, his Bible, and a cave. <laughs> and I don't think we should be content with just podcast, online, or books. We need to be with other Christians. We need the blessing of the church of Jesus Christ. Private worship is good, but it will not sustain us. David knew this. How about you? Do you cherish your church home? I hope you do. If you're watching online, visiting, would you think about City View as your church home? We're a group of believers gathering to worship and praise our God and there is a blessing when we come together. Corporate worship is a unique means of grace. It is designed by God to both strengthen us and help our witness. We need that. We need it. It is essential for our spiritual life. It's very important. I thank God that my parents instilled in me the importance of attending church. Now there again, I did not always go willingly. But nevertheless, I went. And I have to tell you, most of the time after it was over, I was glad I was in church. God has designed his people for a spiritual community. See, that's what David was missing. He was no longer part of God's covenant people. He had been driven out. But God has designed his church in such a way that we are a spiritual community. And when we come together in corporate worship, there is great blessing for our lives. What does it consist of? Well, it consists of prayer. Singing together. Reading the scripture, the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. And of course, the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. As Rick says, what a picture of the gospel. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. We need to be reminded of those things. And I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded weekly at least 
because I forget and I leak, evidently. <laughs> it's not optional. It's not optional. We ought to meet together. If you are physically able, please do not remove yourself from the means of grace that God has given us. And now we're coming to the end of the chapter and we're going to see uh, another expression of really remorse from King Saul. He's not going to show us true repentance. And that was always what Saul did. Saul had remorse for his sin, but he never really repented. David confessed his sin, was sorry for his sin, but repented. That's why the scriptures tell us that David was a man after his own heart. After David's sin, he said, God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David knew what true repentance was. And God had taught him that in the wilderness. Verse 21, Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son, for I will no more do you harm. Right, sure. No. <laughs> David didn't buy it. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. David says, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today. And I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. So David is not buying Saul's confession. He is going to trust in the Lord to one day truly deliver him and bring about his kingship. He doesn't know when, but he's going to do that. Now just a word on real repentance. Repentance is not what we say. Repentance is a real decision in our heart with the help of God to turn from our sin. And it is seen by our actions. Our actions should show that we have truly repented. We are turning towards God. And believe me, it takes the help of the Holy Spirit to do so. It's one thing to confess. It's another thing to truly turn from sin. And walk with God. Another thing that happens here is David leaves the presence of Saul for the very last time. They will never see each other again. They will never speak to one another again. But David is going to leave with a clean conscience. If Saul had really repented he would have run to David and embraced him and welcomed him back you know what we call that we call that restoration the relationship would have been restored but we do know that David was able to forgive King Saul. 
although there was no reconciliation. Unilaterally, you can forgive. You can forgive somebody unilaterally. You don't even have to tell them about it. Oh, isn't that the beauty of having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? We can forgive people. We have the Holy Spirit within us. Don't hold that grudge. Don't take matters into your own hands and repay evil for evil. We can forgive. But in long term, if the Holy Spirit continues to work, maybe one day you will have reconciliation. That takes two people. But it would not happen for David and Saul. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. Isn't this ironic? God is using King Saul to encourage David. It's almost like he's prophetic. Maybe it is. He says, you will do many things well and will succeed in him. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. David goes back to the wilderness. Saul goes back to the palace. But one thing that happened is David did leave with a clear conscience. Because David was willing to wait on the Lord. He did not return evil for evil. He acted honorably before the Lord and Abishai. And he paid a price. He paid a cost. But what he was given was a clean conscience. And that's what we, we need. You know, there is no pillow so soft as a clean conscience. You know what I mean. To know that you have waited, you have watched, you have prayed. And then one day you see God's hand move, you see his providence, you see his provisions, and you say, Father, I am glad I waited on you. Because God, you are good and your way is better. Let us pray.